invite you, if you would, take your Bibles and open to Exodus chapter 20. By now, you should know that that's on what page in the Pew Bible? 54. There you go. We've been on page 54 in the Pew Bible for a while, and we've got a few more weeks to go. So Exodus chapter 20, page 54 in your Pew Bible. like this one that I use should just like fall open to it. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read verse 13. It's a very short, very short verse. You shall not murder. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the hazards of my profession is that I often speak about things that are going on in my life, perhaps too often. Um, So by now, all of you know that I've moved and you're over it. Um, I wish that I was over it, uh, but I'm very much in the process of figuring out where everything goes and where everything is. And one of the things that's interesting about moving is that you in some way have to assign value to everything it is that you've accumulated over the course of, for us in that home, 12 years. Now, 12 years is a long time, and you accumulate a lot of stuff. And some of it is really valuable. And it's valuable, maybe it's valuable to me in a way that wouldn't be valuable to you. So some stuff is valuable because of the personal attachment that I have to it, or it was given to me by someone that means a lot to me. So like, my dad's here today. Every year at Christmas, I get a pocket knife. I have quite a collection of pocket knives now, Okay. I don't know what they sell for on the open market, but they mean a lot to me. So you'll be glad to know, Dad, I didn't throw those away. So they made the move, right, because they have importance to me. Other things, maybe they have value because they're useful to us. And the more useful they are, the more valuable they are. Or if they're no longer useful, sometimes we're like, hey, this thing's got to go. I'll let you know that I parted ways with my Blu-ray player. Now, you laugh like it's a VHS. It wasn't a VHS player. You know, it was a Blu-ray player. You know, back in the day, it was like, this is a big deal. But now it's like, we don't know where all the discs are anymore. Or like, someone's chewed on it or wiped some unidentified substance on it, right? It doesn't work anymore, so we got, we got rid of it. And the stuff that was really not valuable, we just took it out to the edge of the road. And you just pile it up out there and... You know, one man's treasure, another, I mean, trash is another man's treasure. Sure enough, it all gets gone in time. But we thought so little of it that we thought, eh, just put it out here on the curb. So the value that you place on something really does dictate how you handle it, how you care for it, and if you keep it or you discard it. In this passage of Scripture today, in some ways, Sharon was right, that it's kind of, it, it, in some ways, it could be easy if we think about the act of killing someone or taking someone's life. But I would suggest to you that sometimes the commandments that seem the easiest are really, really the hardest for us to lean into. Because we sometimes think, well, that, I would never do that. That's not, that's not me. But the truth of the matter is that you and I live in a world 
in which we don't usually or don't often put the the right value on human life that we should. And some people are put in those situations because life is hard where they live and circumstances are difficult. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But one of the things that you understand as you read the opening passages of Scripture, I'm talking like really opening, maybe page one on your Bible, I don't know. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 talks about the creation of everything that you and I experience in the world. And listen to what it says in Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man or mankind people in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So out of everything else in all of creation that God spoke into being, and you may think of all these crazy animals are out there, all these beautiful mountain peaks, really the only thing in all of creation that gets this privilege of bearing the image of God is people. I also tell you sometimes that growing up in a pastor's home can be a perilous thing. I, I teach them this catechism. And one of the questions is, how and why did God create us? And the answer is, God created us male and female. So he created us differently. We're not all the same. He created us in his own image to glorify him. So I sometimes ask you to do this. Look around the sanctuary this morning. Just, just turn left and right. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Everybody that you look at right now, do it again, is so incredibly valuable to God. Now, they may be young, they may be old, they may be tall, they may be short, maybe skinny, they may be whatever you want to call that other word. But like, we're all different, but here's the thing. We, we all have this characteristic inside us that we are created in the image of God. And because of that and that alone, we have value. And that value doesn't change based on how old you are. That value doesn't change based on how useful you are. That from birth to death, everyone who has life in them shares this reality that we are valuable just because of the fact that we're created in God's image. But then the other thing that happens early on in Scripture, we see that truth in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and then in Genesis 3, what happens? Come on, you know this. Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Yes, the fall happens. Adam and Eve, some of you are like, I think I know, but I'm not saying it, right? I I know this one. So the fall happens. And Adam and Eve are deceived, and they eat the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, and everything is broken. And you see early on that their relationship with each other is broken. Their relationship with all of creation is broken. And it gets real bad really quickly. Because in chapter 4, what happens? I'm not going to make you say it out loud. Cain and Abel. There's a story of Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel both bring offerings before the Lord. The Lord deems one of them appropriate, the other not. 
so much ink has been spilt over what the difference was and why one and why wasn't. But really the story pretty quickly gets to this enmity that Cain and Abel have for each other. And the Lord says in Genesis 4, verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So the Lord warns Cain that this could get out of hand really fast in his enmity with his brother. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, when they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, it could be that you and I read that sentence and we're kind of like, oh yeah, of course, people get killed. Like, it happens. And that's true. But I think it ought to bother us so much that something like that happens in our world. I have the privilege of having three children in my home, 12, 9, and 3. And one of the best things about having a three-year-old is that you really spend time with another human being that has no category for something like murder or taking human life. And as I've been thinking about this passage this week and, and how heavy it really is as we think about how valuable every person is to the Lord and how we live in a world where we get used to things like people's lives being taken from them, how, how incredible it is to spend time with someone who walks around with the world with a very different perspective in the sense of understanding safety and security finding their hope in the Lord, and no idea that she would be harmed or that she would harm someone else to the point of taking their life. And in a way, you all, I kind of live in an idyllic world like May. I've told you that I, I live in a new neighborhood. I've moved, and you know what? I love my new neighborhood. I've mentioned to you it's kind of like living in a zoo at times. There are deer everywhere little foxes, you know, might see an owl. It's one of the most beautiful places. There are trees everywhere. And really, I live in a place where when I go out and get in my truck or I go out for a jog, I really never occurs to me that someone might hurt me. Never really occurs to me that I might have to hurt someone else. And there's in a world like that where things feel so safe. And things seem so peaceful and these ideas of losing life or taking life seem so foreign to me that if I'm not careful, I forget that I live in a world where other people, that is not their experience. And again, it's not that far from my house. Now, I don't watch the news very often. But from time to time, the TV is on and maybe the news happens and it's on and they talk about someone being murdered in Birmingham. And it's really not that far from where I live. I live out on the north side, I live out on the west side of Birmingham. Things get pretty serious pretty fast, correct? I lived in South Africa for a year and a half. And one of the episodes that I had in South Africa, I tell you this just as by way of trying to relate to the passage of Scripture. I had a Toyota Corolla. 
And if any of you know what my truck looks like, the Toyota Corolla was kind of a cousin to the truck. It's green, kind of like an army green. You know, but I, I got to where I liked that little car. I got to where I could drive on the opposite side of the road. Notice I didn't say it wrong, opposite. I drove on the opposite side of the road, and I would drive my car out different places, and I had the opportunity to go out to townships. And some of you have been to South Africa. You've been in a township and you kind of understand what we're talking about. As far as you can see, just, you know, people living in whatever they can figure out to live in for themselves. And I'd gone out there the week before and just had kind of a picturesque Disney-type experience, to be honest. There were lots of us out there. I was experiencing new culture. We were going kind of home to home, and we were sharing the gospel, and people were so kind. They were inviting us in. We were praying with people. And just that next week, I had an opportunity to go back. And I got so comfortable. I'm like, sure, I'll go by myself. Why wouldn't I go by myself? And so I drove out there, and I parked my little Corolla there on the side of the road, and rode loosely, dirt path, you know. Went out, spent the whole day with church folks, visiting again. Now, the Toyota Corolla that I had had an interesting feature that perhaps your car does not have. It had a lock that went over the gear shift. Now, why would, why would I have such a thing on my car? To keep someone from wanting to steal it, which is great, except for the fact it does have a key. And who had the key? You guessed it. So we walked out, and people had noticed that this beautiful Toyota Corolla was parked on the side of the road. And I was walking back, and the only reason I would like to see replay of this is because I'm still alive. But it would have been interesting to see how it went down from like an aerial view. Best I can remember, there were three guys, probably teenagers that walked by. Quickly, there's a gun out. And y'all, the only thing I could think of was give them everything you have. Literally, take your watch off. <laughs> like anything I could think of they might want in a moment, like stuff's going. And they got in and they drove the car away, and there I am. And then all the well-meaning church members came out from wherever they were hiding. <laughs> Went to the church building, called the police. Police came. And it's a really surreal experience to be riding in a police car in a different country with a police officer, kind of debriefing what just happened. And one of the things that he said in that moment, he's like, man, you are so lucky. I was like, say more. I don't feel particularly lucky right now. He said, you're so lucky because people get shot out here over a pack of cigarettes. I mean, people just, people just take human life out here really quickly for things that you would not think. And as I've thought about that episode over the years, one of the things that I've thought about as I've had conversation with other people is trying to get inside the mind or the heart of someone who would do that. And it'd be really easy for me to be like, no, I would never rob your, uh, of your car at gunpoint. I would never do that kind of thing. I would never take your life. But do you remember how many kids live under my roof? Three. And I want to think that I wouldn't, but I don't know that I would, that if they were hungry enough, 
if we were desperate enough, if I found myself in a situation like lots of people that I saw in those moments, the reality of it is I don't know what I would do to you. That there is a level of desperation and there is a level of I've got to provide, I've got to make something happen that can cause people to be in situations where they do things that, that they normally wouldn't do. And I tell you that story when we think about places just around us where we see things like that happening, only to say that as, as people of God, you and I ought to think about all people, no matter who they are, where they're from, what they do, what they don't do, as created in the image of God and there to be something sacred about them. To the degree that when something happens and there's loss of life, whether we can control it or whether we're behind it or not, that there ought to be something in us that grieves deeply when we live in a world like that. And that the conditions exist where people would do such a thing. And it's not so much that we're better, they're worse, somebody there's got it figured out, somebody doesn't. It's just a complicated picture that you and, all, you and I inhabit in a fallen world. And I think it's helpful for us to step back and to remember that we live in a fallen world and that really human life is from the time of conception to the time someone breathes their last breath in this world incredibly valuable to the Lord. And he calls us to be his people in the world. And this is where it gets really difficult, isn't it? You see, I can give mental assent to the truth that I believe that everybody, male and female, is created in God's image and has value and worth and dignity and ought to be protected. But that work of, of doing that, of coming alongside other people in a fallen world, can be really difficult and messy. And it might be places where we try to bring God's kingdom more fully through, through giving people opportunities to do things that you and I would want to aspire to do, or it might be coming alongside mothers who are in a really difficult situation <laughs> and saying, hey, we'll step up and take care of that life. Members of our own church do that, and I am astounded and amazed at the faith that they show. Because it's really easy on one side to say, we care about all life, and we're, we're all but it's another difficult thing to then step out and live into that and to be God's people in hard places and hard situations. I got to admit to you that, that preparing for this sermon and thinking through this passage has been a really difficult one this week. In a way that I didn't think it would be of thinking about how much loss there is because while I'm in some ways in May's world, and my life seems easy and comfortable and safe. In other ways, I can't get away from it. I went to open house just recently. I got to pretend I was a junior high kid. And I'm just going to tell you, if I could do junior high over, like with the knowledge I have now, I don't know. It seemed pretty good to me. Anyways, so thinking about, about junior high, but I walked the halls and I was on my way out. And in a way that I shouldn't have to or think about, I thought, Lord, protect this place, right? 
Because we do live in a world where, where that's a reality. And we know that it shouldn't be that like junior high kids and teachers should go to school and it just be a place where you would never think that or walk into a church and to think nothing would ever happen here to, to take life. But we know that that's not our, our experience. And so I just want to close with just a, a couple passages that have been helpful to me this week to bring some sense of hope and joy, even in the midst of a really difficult subject. And it helps me to know that it won't always be like this. Isaiah chapter 2. I want you to listen to what Isaiah says about a day that's coming. He says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Doesn't that sound wonderful? It sounds wonderful that one day you and I will not be in a world marked by the things that we are now. Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover Israel. And then Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to close with this passage. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day the Lord will come and make all things new. And my prayer for you and for me is that between this day and that day, that you and I move out into the world, and we're sensitive to the value of all people. And as we see things that aren't right, we pray We're open to how God would have us to be a part of making those things right and that ultimately our hope would be that one day he's going to do what all of our attempts will fall short to do. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you so much that you are present with us and that you hear our prayers. And Lord, we can't give account for all of the things that happen in our world and the fallen systems and structures and the own, our own complicity and things in our hearts that contribute. But Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and that you would give us a real sense that all people are created in your image and that all life should be protected. And we pray that you would help us to know how to be a part of your kingdom coming here on earth, even as it is in heaven. 
And Lord, we pray that you would give us hope and strength and encouragement each day as we get up and we seek to be your people of peace in the world, that you would help us to ultimately find our hope and our joy in the truth that one day we won't live in a fallen world that we will experience true peace with you and others. And we pray that even now your kingdom would come. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.